And this morning, we're going to start a new sermon series that we're going to be looking at for the coming weeks called Unshakable Character. And we're going to be talking about that from the perspective of Psalm 112. Psalm 112 is one of my favorite psalms in all of Scripture, but it's kind of interesting. I get a kick out of myself when I say that because I feel like every time I present something before you, I'm like, that is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. And then I present something else, I'm like, that is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. And this is what I've learned about myself. I like the whole thing. Uh, but for the sake of, of the coming weeks, Psalm 112 truly is, uh, I'll put it this way, Psalm 112 is a psalm that I regularly read to myself. And it's something that I really appreciate, it's something that encourages me, and it's something that shows me what it's like to receive the Lord's help to navigate life in this world in a way that you're just not easily shaken. And there are blessings and benefits that this psalm describes for those who are completely committed to the Lord with their life. And so I'm just calling this unshakable character. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to, to become enthusiastic for God's ways in a world that wants its own way. And specifically today, we're going to spend our time looking at verse 1 of Psalm 112. In just a moment, I'm going to read the whole psalm. But today we're just going to look at verse 1. And in verse 1, it reminds us of what it looks like when we delight to hear God's voice. So look with me, if you would, to Psalm 112. I'm going to read the whole thing, but like I said, we're just going to focus the bulk of our time on verse 1 today. But this is what it says in this psalm. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever." He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word together today, we pray that you'd help us to understand it. We pray that you'd help us to grow from it. We pray, Lord, that as we begin this time looking through this psalm and as we spend the coming weeks looking at some of the specific things that you've revealed to us in this portion of your word, we pray that you would help us to, to understand more about your heart and more about what you desire for each of us. Lord, we know that in your Son, Jesus Christ, we have great liberty, and we, we celebrate that liberty as, as believers. We also celebrate the liberty that you've given to us as Americans, and we are reminded of those blessings today. But Lord, as we've been set free to, to have these opportunities to, to make decisions and to take our lives in a particular direction, we pray, Lord, that we would use the freedom that you've blessed us with to take our lives in the direction that you describe in this particular psalm. We pray that we would be men and women who have character that reflects the heart of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
And we thank you, Lord, for the things that you tell us in this portion of your word, these reminders that you've given to us of what it looks like to to be just fully committed and fully devoted to you, not shaken by the things of this world. So thank you, Lord, for this portion of your word, and thank you for your presence with us today. We praise you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever attempted to, to listen to the voice of God as he speaks to you? I know last week that was something that we were talking about as we finished up our series in the book of Philemon. It's something that I actually think comes up quite a few times when you go throughout Scripture, this idea of listening to the voice of God. And I kind of bring that up because I'm just curious, you know, do you struggle to hear Him or does it feel like His words are easy to hear, that His words are discernible, that you're understanding what the Lord's trying to communicate to you? I, I bring that up because many people admit to having a very difficult time hearing the voice of God. And in some respects, I imagine that that might be because maybe some people don't know enough about how he speaks to people, because there's a variety of ways the Lord speaks to, to people, most prominently his word. I think it's also possible that many people spend their lives so caught up listening to worldly counsel that their ability to discern godly wisdom from worldly wisdom starts to become deficient. And so I think that that's a problem that even we as believers can sometimes wrestle with, because when you think about all the different sources of information that come into your life on a daily basis, um, a lot of the things that that come our direction are not pointing us in a good direction, and uh, it could become challenging at times for us to listen to the voice of God. But we want to learn what it looks like to delight to hear His voice. We want to delight to listen to Him. Years ago, and maybe some of you remember this story, Um, there was a group of Chilean miners that had to spend about 70 days listening. Remember this? Right around 2010, remember seeing some of the news stories about this? It was actually for a full 69 days, there was a group of of 33 miners in Chile stuck in a mine shaft after a large section of the mountain that they were digging on after it collapsed. And they spent the bulk of, they spent more than two months, this group spent more than two months listening for signs of hope and listening for anything that might indicate that somebody on the surface was searching for them. What do you think that would do to your mind? You had to spend all that time underground, all that time listening, hoping that you would hear something. And and by the way, just so you understand how deep they were underground, they were 2,300 feet underground. So it wasn't like they were 20 feet or 100 feet. They were 2,300 feet under the ground. And they waited for help. And for many days, they had absolutely no idea if help was coming or if everyone just presumed that they were dead because many instances like that when there were mining tragedies in their country, eventually people would just assume that those that were buried were probably dead and that they may not find them and then they would hold services and, and that would be that. But they had, a, you know, this, this group of men were down there. They were in this opening, this little bit of an opening that they had. They called it a refuge and they had a small amount of food down there with them. Uh, I read that they had a little bit of tuna, they also had some peas, and they had a bunch of packages of cookies. And some of the older miners that were a bit more seasoned said, you know, we have no idea how long we're going to be down here, so we need to start rationing this like we're going to be down here a long time. They also had some milk and water. I'm not sure how the milk held up, probably not too well, but they had some at least initially. And they had water that was actually used in one of the tanks for one of the machines. There was a little bit of oil in that water too, but it was still safe enough for them to drink it, better than not having anything to drink. But they realized 
for us to stretch this out, since there's 33 of us, based on what they had, they decided to limit their rations to 300 calories a day. So now think about this, 2,300 feet under the ground, wondering if anyone's coming to get you, 300 calories a day, and um, you know, so in addition to their fear, in addition to their worry, in addition to all the things going on, they're also starving. And for many days, they heard absolutely nothing. They would listen, they heard absolutely nothing. Sometimes they said their minds would play tricks on them, and they would imagine that they were hearing drills, and they would imagine that they were hearing other noises, but then they would all pause, keep everything silent so that they could listen a little bit closer, and they realized that wasn't the case. And in the midst of this, that situation, they, they said that they started to settle into the very real possibility of dying. And it even started to become something they would openly talk about with one another. But one of the men that was part of this group decided to encourage the others to hold on to hope. His name was Jose Enriquez, and uh, he was a devout Christian, and he would regularly lead this group of men in prayer. And so they would pray. Uh, he said that among the things that he would ask God for, one of the things he would ask God for was that, that God would just take pity on them and would somehow provide a way out of this circumstance. And while this was taking place down in the mine, you can imagine all the activity taking place on the surface. And on the surface, there were groups of people that were doing everything they could to try and locate this group of men underground. And so the surface operations, they decided that they were going to drill in nine different places at the same time to see if one of those areas that they were drilling might be correct and might help them locate the men. And on the 17th day of drilling, so just think about this, it's now, there's 17 days into this endeavor, something happened. They drilled into the shaft where the group of men were located. And the men heard the drill approaching them, and I imagine that for a little bit they probably thought it was too good to be true, but then they realized, no, actually there is a drill approaching us. And then the drill penetrated through the ceiling into the opening where the men were gathered, and one of the men started banging on the pipe. There was a pipe around the drill bit. They would lower more, you know, piping into the areas that they were drilling, and it would protect the drill bit. And one of the men started, he took a wrench, and he started banging on that pipe and trying to indicate to those above ground that they had actually found them, and that noise was heard uh, above ground. They were able to indicate that the men were, were there, and, and Jose said when he saw that pipe, protrude through the ceiling. He joyfully proclaimed for all the guys to hear. He just simply said, God exists. Because this was a moment where they were convinced God had heard their prayers and had directed all those people that were doing this, this rescue effort to drill 2,300 feet into the ground, and they found the pocket where these guys were. That's amazing. And it, it took many more weeks for the men to be extracted because they had to make the opening bigger and bigger and bigger. So they found them on day 17, but it wasn't until day 69 when they were extracted. But what they were able to do was they were able to open up that opening, send more food down, send notes from their families, send water, send different things that they would need, other supplies, while they waited for that rescue shaft to be drilled. And you can imagine, if you were those men, if you were trapped under the ground, what a joy it was for them to hear the drill, and what a joy it was for them to, to receive messages, to receive these notes from their loved ones. Now, when you think about this in the natural sense, and when you think about these sorts of things in the spiritual sense, there are certain things in life that are just an utter delight to hear. 
There's certain things in life that we just joyfully can't wait to hear. And God wants us, as followers of Christ, God wants us to be people who remain eager to hear from Him. And we see that kind of thought expressed in Psalm 112. And I want to, let me just show us verse 1. This is our highlight today. But in Psalm 112, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. Who greatly delights in His commandments. That's what the Scripture tells us here. Now, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, Psalm 112, it truly is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. It's a psalm, when you look at it in its entirety, it's a psalm that paints a picture of the kind of life that God desires for us. So when you're trying to think about, you know, the the kind of life that God desires for you, you really do see an outline of it in Psalm 112. You know, if you're wondering, what's God's will for my life? What does the Lord want my life to look like? Just read Psalm 112. It shows you the kind of life that the Lord wants for you and me. It's actually the kind of life that Jesus lived on our behalf when he walked this earth. It also is the kind of uh, scripture, when you look at Psalm 112, that demonstrates the kind of lifestyle that the Holy Spirit is eager to empower us to experience as we trust in Jesus and as we learn to rely on His counsel, as we learn to obey His counsel in our day-to-day life. And there are several phrases of encouragement when you look at this psalm, even when you just look at verse 1, that I think should stand out to us when we, when we look at that particular verse. It begins with the statement, praise the Lord. That's how the psalm starts off. Some translations actually just put hallelujah. So you just say hallelujah or Praise the Lord. That's a statement that should never be far from our lips. For you and for me, in every context of life, that's a statement that should never be far from our lips. Praise the Lord. So if I'm experiencing true joy, if I'm experiencing true hope, if I'm experiencing true contentment in Christ, I will be able to utter that phrase, praise the Lord, no matter what my present circumstances may be. Whether I'm in a mine shaft 2,300 feet under the ground, whether I'm in a day-to-day circumstance, it seems... Quite difficult. When I'm healthy, I can praise the Lord. When I'm sick, I can praise the Lord. When my life is free from conflict, I can praise the Lord. When I'm experiencing discomfort or disappointment, I can praise the Lord just the same. My sense of peace in this world is not found in the absence of pain. It's found in the presence of Christ. And so for you and I, as we navigate life in this world, this idea of praising the Lord, that should be a phrase that's never far from our lips. Our sense of peace in this world is not in the absence of conflict or not in the absence of pain. It's found in the presence of Christ. And then you look at what the psalmist here reminds us. He also reminds us that a man who fears the Lord is truly blessed. And it could be said, you know, you could even translate that word blessed, happy. So it could be said that such a person is genuinely happy because he understands how life in this world is truly designed to operate. Living life with a healthy and respectful reverence for God's authority and power is the only way to experience a genuinely blessed and genuinely happy life. And so you have the psalmist here encouraging us to to live ultimately in the fear of the Lord. But I imagine that the concept of living in the fear of the Lord, that that might initially sound unappealing to people. And I think a lot of times, you know, when we think about fear, we think about being scared, right? I mean, isn't that the type of thing that you tend to think of when you think of fear? I mean, how often when you hear the word fear, does that connote you know, some, some positive uh, images in your mind. I'll tell you something that took place this week. I was happy to, to be an assistant with this a little bit, but uh, partway through the week, uh, Nadine, where are you at? There you are. Nadine walks into church and she says, hey, 
uh, real quick, I need you to help me with something. I would like to scare Noah Smith. And, uh, and she says, I have an air horn. I'm going to hide in the craft closet downstairs. Your job, pastor, is to steer him toward that craft closet. And, uh, and I said, oh, well, I, I would be happy to participate in that. <laughs> and I steered him toward that craft closet, and then he opens it, and Nadine squeezes that air horn, and uh, I know Noah wasn't expecting that, and she celebrated that because she induced fear in somebody else. <laughs> and the best part is Noah's face afterward, just looking at this like, I, I think in his mind he was probably like, I always thought adults would be different than this, you know, like, <laughs> like this is not what I anticipated. Why, why do I hang out with these people, right? And so when we think about fear, that's what we tend to think about. Like we think about like someone trying to scare us or a circumstance trying to scare us. And I think the word fear causes people to scratch their heads in confusion because we look at that and we think, I don't know, do I want fear in my life? You know, if I asked you, do you want fear in your life? I don't think your first impulse would be, yes, of course. Who doesn't want fear, right? I hope there's an air horn around every corner, right? I want to be, I want to experience fear, but when you look at what Scripture talks about when it's using the word fear in a context like this, it's talking about like the deepest level of respect. It's talking about the deepest level of reverence. It's like a reverence and a respect that, that, that is just like the outpouring of genuine love for someone. And a man or a woman who chooses to spend their life recognizing that the greatest power in the universe, the one who spoke creation into existence, that he has authority over their lives, and that he can enact his power to intervene in their lives at any moment, that person is going to live a better life, plain and simple. Someone who's living with that kind of understanding of the authority of God and the power of God, they're going to live a better life because they're not going to be strutting around living their life like they're the one calling the shots. They're not going to puff up their chest and walk around and act like they're the one that knows everything. They're going to spare themselves the pain that comes from human pride and human arrogance. They're going to learn to walk with a sense of humility, recognizing that God is the one ultimately calling the shots. And I think understanding who God really is, and I think living in respectful submission to His authority, I think that's the key, and Scripture makes us clear that it is the key to obtaining wisdom and good direction with your life. And so here you have the psalmist encouraging us to be people who fear the Lord. He says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed is the man who wakes up every day and goes to bed every night recognizing that the Lord is the ultimate power in this universe, and they, that person reveres and respects the Lord's authority. And the psalmist also expresses that those who, who greatly delight in God's commandments will also be blessed. And I appreciate reading that. And I appreciate contemplating this idea of, of delighting in God's commandments because the idea of worshiping a, a, a God who specifically commands us to live a certain way and believe a certain way, it seems noticeably deficient in present-day culture. The idea of God being very specific about, look, this is how we're to live and this is what we're to believe. And this is what I notice, and you could tell me if you notice the same thing, but we live in, I think we live in a day when, I, I certainly see this anecdotally, but I feel like we live in a day when many teachers and preachers and writers are, are trying to sanitize God in a certain way, almost like they're trying to portray Him in, a, in some sort of a soft and, and never abrasive manner. But here's what I've learned about God, and here's what I've learned about myself. My sin is not a trivial thing. 
My sin is actually an offense to God's holy nature. That's what Scripture reveals. As much as I don't like to think about that, my sin is actually an offense to His holy nature. Scripture also makes it abundantly clear that I was not seeking God, and I was not looking for His counsel. I wasn't eager to receive His counsel. But the Lord intervened anyway. The Father sent the Son into this world to bear the penalty for my sin upon Himself. He offered me the only shot at redemption that I had. He offered me the only shot at forgiveness that I had. And if I trust Him enough to receive His gift of salvation... I should also trust him enough to listen to exactly what he says about how I'm supposed to go about living this new life that he's given me. And I think it's very interesting how many of us as professing believers will trust the Lord for salvation, but we won't trust him for how to live the new life he's given us. He gives us new life. It's dramatically different than what we had before. In fact, Scripture says we were walking in death, and the Lord took the dead and made us alive. And it's almost like at times we look at God and we say, oh my goodness, thank you for doing for me what I couldn't do, but now I will trust my wisdom from here to the end. And it's interesting how antithetical that is to what God's Word actually teaches, because God's Word teaches that we're to delight in His commandments, not spend our lives trying to figure out ways to not actually have to listen to what He says, And here's the thing, there are going to be times when God's Word says things I don't want to hear. That actually happens to me frequently when I'm going through Scripture. I'm sure it happens to you as well when you come across certain things, you're like, ooh, that's awkward because that speaks directly to something about myself I don't want to change. Or sometimes I'll phrase it in my mind this way, I don't want to change that yet. Like maybe when I'm older, right? It's like, how long are you going to wait? You know, how long are you going to wait? And I'll come across things in the Word of God that say things I don't want to hear and And yet, there they are. And sometimes the Lord will make demands in my life that stretch me. And they take me out of my comfort zone. Guess what I happen to like? My comfort zone. I like it a lot, right? And you probably like yours as well. And then the Lord will stretch us, and He takes us out of that comfort zone. And here's another thing. Have you ever been offended by the Lord? I know my sin has been an offense to Him. Well, guess what? Sometimes God offends me. He has offended me on more than one occasion in my life by telling me that I was wrong and he was right. I'm like, Lord, that's offensive. Okay, but does it make it untrue? Sometimes the truth can be very offensive when we first hear it. Sometimes the Lord shows me things about myself, and he shows me things about my internal motivations that make me feel uncomfortable. And if I truly love him, and if I truly mean it when I call him Lord, here's what I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn to say thank you every time he challenges my false notions or my spiritual immaturity. When I come across those things in his word, or when he uses another believer to point something out in my life, or when the Holy Spirit convicts my heart in a time of prayer, and I'm taken out of my comfort zone, or I'm stretched, or I'm offended, but I'm being offended by the truth, one of the things that I want to learn as I walk with Christ over the course of my life, is to just simply say, thank you, Lord, for this momentary offense, because what's going to happen? That momentary offense turns into a lifetime of blessing when you course correct with the Lord's power. And instead of going in a direction that was harmful for you, that you were unaware of, you got offended for a moment, but then the ship got steered in a better direction, and before you know it, you're honoring the Lord in areas where you weren't honoring Him. 
I don't know what musicians you enjoy listen, listening to. I, I enjoy listening to just about all of them, with a couple exceptions. But there's a, a, a band I got into in my youth that I still enjoy listening to. Some people love them and some people hate them. Does anyone else here listen to the band U2? All right, so it's not just me, but there wasn't a ton of you, okay? So I don't know, it might be just us, like, like I saw like four or five of us, all right? But I've always enjoyed them. Not everything. Every now and then they come out with a dud album, but some of their albums I think are masterpieces. And a few years ago, I think it was maybe around 2014, they came out with an album that had a song on it called Every Breaking Wave. And it's one of my favorite songs by the band, but there's an interesting line in there that I want to quote. The lead singer Bono says this. He says, it's hard to listen while you preach. It's hard to listen while you preach. What a jerk that lead singer is, you know what I mean? Like, doesn't he know I preach for a living? Like, what a jerk, like when one of your favorite bands offends you in their lyrics. But I'm like, yeah, it's hard to listen while you preach. It's hard to listen while you preach. Well, I don't think he was necessarily just targeting preachers, but we certainly fall into the category of people that find it hard to listen while you preach. It's hard to listen while you preach. I think it's a great line because I think it illustrates one of the biggest obstacles that all of us experience when it comes to listening to God's voice. We want to do the talking. We want to do the directing, when we really should be the ones who want to do the listening and the obeying. And it's hard to listen to him if we're too enamored with listening to ourselves. And I think one of the greatest struggles that we as human beings deal with is that we prefer to listen to ourselves more so than we listen to God. Jesus once said this, John chapter 8, verse 47, it says this, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. That's what Jesus said. Now, keep in mind who Jesus said this to. Jesus said these words to the religious influencers of the day who loved the sound of their own voices more than the voice of God. They love the sound of their own voices more than they love the voice of God. Their rejection of Christ's teaching actually demonstrated that their hearts were far from God. They claimed to delight in hearing God's voice, but they really delighted in hearing their own. That's what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear their own voice. But our hearts, if you want to see a picture of maturity, if you want to think about what spiritual maturity really looks like, our hearts should be aligned with the sentiment that, that David actually expressed back in Psalm 32. And he encouraged those who claimed to worship God to not take the posture of a belligerent animal, a belligerent animal that just consistently and continually resists submission. David said it this way, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So you see what David's saying? He's saying, like, look, don't be like a horse. Don't be like a mule. I don't have any animosity toward horses or mules, but I can tell you that if, uh, if you described me as a mule, I would probably take some level of offense. I would think you meant I was stubborn. And in, in Psalm 32, David is basically saying, listen, when it comes to the things of God, don't be like a stubborn mule. But how often do we go through life with that kind of posture? 
I mean, isn't it interesting to think about this idea that, we could, that we've taken that posture before God? That there are seasons in my life where I've taken the posture that looks more like a stubborn mule than a submissive listener. And David's saying, listen, don't do that. Don't do that. Years ago, I don't know if you know the name Dallas Willard. Anyone know that name? Dallas Willard, author, well-known Christian thought leader. He passed away a, a few years ago. But he said this about our struggle to hear God's voice. He made this statement. He said, our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. That we want it only when we think we need it. That we want it only when we think we need it. That in general, we don't want to hear it. Now, let me just ask us this. Do you want God's counsel? You know, when you think about your own life, when you think about your own relationship with God, when you think about how you make decisions on a daily basis, do you want God's counsel? Do you think God's counsel is something that you need on occasion or something that you can honestly say that you need continually? And how do you respond to, to counsel in other areas of your life? Sometimes that can be an indicator. Do you, do you accept the counsel of the people that God has specifically placed in your life to help guide the steps that you take and, and guide the decisions that you make? Or do you resist outside counsel? I asked my son Daniel's permission to share this today, and I think I may have shared this maybe about a year ago, but I asked his permission to share it again just in case I hadn't shared it. And, uh, and he said, yeah, it was okay. He seemed a little bit reluctant, but he still gave me permission. But uh, when, when my son was a new driver, he made the classic mistake and failed to pay attention to his speed. It's a mistake that all of us have made at one point or another. I think many of us make that mistake just about every time we're driving. But he was driving down a residential hill, and it was actually kind of steep. And his speed, before he knew it, far exceeded the limit. And apparently in that particular area... It was something that was rather common, and I guess some of the people that were local residents were starting to complain about it, and so the police decided that they would set up a speed trap in that area to try and slow drivers down. And so the police were in position that day to catch anyone that went down that hill a little too fast, and Daniel happened to be one of them, and he was quickly pulled over. And he was given his ticket, and he looked at it, and the fine was rather severe, the points on his license were going to be rather severe, and so he was already starting to think about increased insurance costs and all these things going against his record, and he wasn't feeling too great about it. But someone working for the police department, someone working the desk over at the police station actually told him, he said, you know, you could also challenge the ticket if you would like to. You could challenge the ticket, and maybe you could come before the judge and see if the judge would attempt to, to reduce the penalty or something like that. And so my son asked me what to do. He said, Dad, what should I do? And I said, well, it, I'll be honest with you. If I was in your shoes, I would just pay the ticket. I, I said, I, you know, I'd just pay the ticket. I'd just accept the consequences since it was clear that your speed was beyond the, the limit. You know, you did do it. You don't deny it. So I don't understand the point of challenging this. I said, that's what I would do. And so he listened to me for a second. And he decided, okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to challenge that ticket. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay. So he took his chances and challenged the ticket. And then, then he asked me, all right, well, how should I dress when I come before the judge? And I said, well, listen, you didn't listen to my counsel when I told you to just pay the ticket. So you're probably not going to listen to my counsel now. But if I was you, I would wear my work uniform when I came before the judge. And he's like, oh, come on. He thought that answer was ridiculous. And at the time, he worked at Chick-fil-A. 
And so I, I said, just wear your Chick-fil-A uniform. I said, wear your Chick-fil-A uniform when you come before the judge. And he's like, that's ridiculous. I, he's like, I'm not doing that. I was like, okay, do whatever you want. I don't know why you keep asking me questions. Do whatever you want. But then I went with him that day. And it's interesting. I don't typically wear a suit, but I had something else going on that morning. So I actually had a suit on when I came and picked him up. And when he walked out of the house, there he was. He took my counsel. He wore his Chick-fil-A uniform to court. And uh, when we went to the, to the court, they thought I was his lawyer. They thought I was representing. I, I was like, no, I'm just a dad. I happen to be wearing a suit today. Um, but we were there. And uh, when the judge asked him some questions about his driving, he also said this, hey, I see you, uh, see you work at Chick-fil-A. And then he said, yeah, my daughter works there too. It's a great company. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that, that if you work there, you're probably a generally reliable person who just made a simple mistake. So that's probably my assessment of this. And then he reduced my son's fine and all the other penalties so it didn't even have to be reported to his insurance. And later that day, my son looked at me and he goes, I hate to admit it, but you were right. <laughs> he said, I'm glad I listened to you and I wore the uniform. I'm glad I listened to you. And I said, I was like, Daniel, just think about it. Like, you're thinking it'd be funny in front of your friends, but I was like, think of how old that judge is. He's my age. And I'm thinking, what would my friends want to see from a teenage kid that just made a mistake? Some sign of responsibility that would make you think, maybe I give the guy a break. And he's like, yeah, that's true. I was coming before your friends that day, not my friends. I was like, yeah. So I was glad, I was glad he listened. He said, yeah, I'm glad I listened to you, Dad, and wore the uniform. And here's the thing. There's going to be a day when every person is going to admit to their heavenly father that he was right. We're all going to come before our heavenly father. We're going to admit he was right. And spiritually speaking, we could admit that today. We could do that today. and We could live in the, just the, the joyous delight of, of experiencing our daily life with the confidence that we are in the center of God's will. Or we can stumble through life with our own short-sighted wisdom as our primary guide and then also eventually admit at the end that our Heavenly Father was right while we pick up the pieces of our needlessly shattered lives. So you can admit on the front end or the back end that He was right. But we'll all admit that He was right. But blessed is the person who does it now and isn't waiting till later. So what voices ring loudest in your head? Is it the voice of God? Is it the beckoning of this sinfully confused world? Is it the counsel of your own making? The person who spends a lifetime delighting in the commands of God and then developing a sensitivity to hearing the counsel of the Holy Spirit is also going to be someone who experiences a fulfilling existence on this planet while we wait for the glorious return of Jesus Christ. So as we begin our study of this psalm, let me say this today as we finish up our thoughts for today. Think about the things that this psalm is starting off by telling us. It's giving us this pattern of what a good life looks like. And what it's saying is if you want a good life, which I believe that you do, it's saying learn to delight in the commands of God. Learn to delight in the commands of God. Not, not, don't try and spend your life figuring out how you can ignore the commands of God or excuse away the commands of God. It's saying learn to delight in the commands of God. And I think for each of us, as we seek to grow in our walk 
with Jesus Christ. When we think about the things that we could be praying about, one of the things that I'd advise us and encourage us to be praying about is, Lord, please make this my heart's desire. Because naturally speaking, that would not be my heart's desire. Naturally speaking, we would do the very same things that Jesus critiqued. We would listen to our own counsel. But we want to learn to delight in the commands of God. And then this scripture goes on from there to share several other important things for us. And we'll look at those in coming weeks. But this week, as we approach this week, among all the different things that each of us are going to be praying about, ask the Lord to make it your heart's desire to joyfully listen to his commands. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the privilege that it is to be able to look at these things today and to just think about what you've revealed to us in your word. Lord, we know that in the midst of all the things that we see in this world, all the things that we face, all the things that we wrestle with, we know, Lord, that you've given us your counsel. You've given us your word. We have access to it, but Lord, we confess to you that we don't read it as much as we ought to. And even if we do, we don't contemplate it as much as we ought to. At times, we're spending the bulk of our time listening to other counsel and listening to other messages. And frankly, Lord, when you look at what's going on in this world, there's so much confusion because we live in the midst of a world that just embraces worldly counsel, and yet your word tells us that that's just spiritual blindness. It's, it's not foresight. It's not understanding. But you've given us your word, and through faith in your Son, we also know that we're indwelled with your Holy Spirit. And so he speaks to us with his counsel and points us in the direction of the words that your son taught during the course of his earthly ministry. So, Lord, we pray that these would be things that matter to us. We pray that these would be things that we would understand. We pray that by your grace that we would grow in our walk with you as a result. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege to look at your word today. And, Lord, we just pray that by your power that you'd make it our delight to listen to everything that you've told us in your word, that we wouldn't excuse it away, that we would let it confront us in ways we need to be confronted, that, we would, that we'd let it challenge us and stretch us in ways that we need to be challenged and stretched. And that in the end, that we would say, thank you. Praise the Lord, because this is wonderful. This is something that I needed. This isn't something I would have understood on my own. So again, Lord, we thank you for your blessings, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at these things together today. And we pray that this would set our minds on a good path and that we would be working our way in a good direction as we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, and seek to live out what it looks like to be obedient to the counsel of your Word. And Lord, we pray that as we continue our study of, of Psalm 112 in the coming weeks, that the end result would be that we would live lives that bring honor to you because our trust in your Son is genuine. We need your grace, we need your strength, we need your help to actually do this. We can't do this in our own power, but we're grateful that your grace is sufficient for us in the midst of our weakness. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.